When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. As always, we are joined by our super producer, Noel Brown. Uh, you know, I was recently listening to a previous episode we did on The Fair Lady. Yeah. And one of the things that's strange about that episode, Scott, is that we spend the first few minutes uh, doing our best not to make our guest producer, Matt's nickname, The Fair Lady. Really? Yeah, I can kind of remember that. It seems like it was a while ago now. Maybe even in a couple August, months or maybe. something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, boy, I guess we should probably make the same effort for Noel. Yeah, we should definitely not call him Noel the Fair Lady Brown. Yeah, definitely not. Um, you know, I mean, if the listeners want to do that. No, no, they shouldn't do that. I'm just joking. But uh, but but maybe we should. Uh, I mean, Z seems too easy, right? Z yeah, was, Z's a cool name, though. Yeah, I guess it is. Maybe we should think about this one throughout the episode and then come back later. That's a we, good idea. If we remember, yeah, uh, to come up with a, a nickname. So, uh, by way of segue, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just just the uh, the conversational feint, not the weird vehicle. Do you remember the segue? Rising sun. Rising sun. How about that? How about that? That's not a bad one, Noel Rising Sun Brown. These might strike me throughout the episode like that, so we'll see. Okay, okay. yes. All right. So just by way of segue, though, uh, we were talking just before we went on the air about how rare today's the, the, the subject of today's podcast can be. Yeah, you know? because um, I think I mentioned in the other one, and I, I haven't listened to it recently, like in the last uh, month or so, uh, but... I remember saying that on my way to work, occasionally I'll see a Z car. And when yeah. I when I say Z car, I know that that means cars that go through present day. I get that, that there's a, a modern version of this. But I'm mm. talking about particularly the cars from the 1970s. And I think right. that's our main focus today. We're going to get to the modern versions too, but our main sure. fo- focus will be the uh, 1970s vehicles. And I think I said something like I see like th- three or four or five on the way to work every day. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been paying attention to this in the last couple weeks just because I knew this was coming up. And uh, I think that number 
is down to about two a day. I'm seeing only about two of these a day now, and that's not terrible, I guess, when you consider that, you know, it's it's a four-decade-old vehicle. However, yeah, sure. um, you know, it's the same two that, you know, were in, in with the other four or five that I saw before, but we don't really have the seasons here in Atlanta like we do, uh, you know, elsewhere in the United States, you know, where it gets cold and you put away your summer toy. Right. It's typically, uh, you know, all... You know, everything goes all year. I mean, you could ride a motorcycle nearly 365 days a year here. So, hey, I'll, hey, hey, it snowed that one time. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one year it did snow. That's right. We had that ice storm. But, right. um, no, seriously, we, uh, we just don't have the seasons where you put away your summer toys. So, yeah, it's kind of strange to me that people would put away those toys because apparently they have or maybe they've moved out of the region. Yeah, know. those are both possible. Uh, in our one, one thing we did in our previous podcast on the Fair Lady was, that we explored, you know, we, we explored the rise of the fair lady and then we started getting to Z cars. And this was a let, this was inspired by a letter from a listener, Jimmy from LA, right? Right. And so this will be kind of a continuation of the, uh, the Nissan Datsun sports car, uh, fair lady Z car story. I mean, it's all right. jumbled together and we'll, we'll try to sort all that out. But, you know, along the way, after we did that fair lady episode, we had a bunch of uh, listeners that wrote in with mm-hmm. different Z car stories, photos of their Z cars. Oh yeah, um, you know, modern and old, and um, just to kind of uh, laundry list a few of these here. Sure. Uh, we had a listener named Patrick A that wrote in and said he has a 1972 Datsun 240Z, oh, also a 76 Trans Am in his garage. Mm-hmm. That both of them <laughs> need full restoration. Uh, he sent a lot of photos along with that as well. So yeah. thanks for that. And oh, Rudy Smith wrote in and said that he at one time had a 280ZX in the past. And he mentioned this, and I thought this was a, a good way to sum it up. He always sums up things pretty nicely. But he yeah. said um, it was a is a classic GT car with a large used car market, and it was affordable for a lot of people. That's why you saw so many of them. That's why they're so popular. Um, and we'll talk about that along the way, too. Uh, some of uh, the, uh, well, just incredible uh, dealer networks that were put into place in order to sell this car, which mm-hmm. other, um, you know, outside manufacturers like, and I say outside, I mean, um Import manufacturers like Jaguar and BMW didn't have at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy from LA wrote back in to say thanks for the first episode also. And, um, he mentioned one other quick thing. He said that, uh, I mentioned that I don't really like, uh, convertibles somewhere along the way. And I think I've said that many times in this, <laughs> That's true. In this yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. And the reason I don't like them particularly is because when you sit at a stoplight or a stop sign, you tend to bake in the sun. It's just uncomfortable. It's sure. hot. People are looking at you. I just don't like it all that much. Um, but he said, I wonder if this would change anything. You know, the Z cars uh, from the 1990s and actually going back farther than that in the 1980s, they had T-tops. And uh, that's a good point. You know, mm-hmm. I'd probably still drive a Z car even though it had T-tops. I, I had a old Trans Am that had T-tops, as a matter of fact. Yeah, you and, mentioned uh, that before. I, I have had one convertible. It was that old MG, but... Different story, different, uh, different podcast. Different, and then, different time. Oh, here's, and here's the last one that I'll mention. And this has kind of a, a little side note to it as well, Ben. Okay. And something that I think listeners will find interesting. And then we'll get into our topic for today, I promise. Uh, Mark D from Australia writes in and said, we didn't mention the Datsun P510, which is also called the Datsun 1600 mm-hmm. over in Australia. Yeah. And he said that was his first car and it was a fairly popular model. In fact, it was fairly popular on that continent. You know, everybody, not everybody, but lots of people had them, had a lot of success in rally competitions. And he wrote in, you know, some specifics about that. So maybe we should cover uh, the Datsun P510 at some point in the future. But um, and I also I just need to mention this because this is sure. this is the side note. OK, not not Mark D, uh, but other Australians have written in about the Dodge Diora. And I know, <laughs> yeah, see, I knew, I knew this Great. would make you laugh, but, yeah. um, 
Aber you, what's the verdict? Well, this is odd, but from Australia, for the most part, they don't like it. And oh. we're getting we're getting responses back and forth about people sure, who do sure. and don't like it, right? Yeah. We haven't really tallied everything yet, but um, I was surprised by the Australians that said they don't like it because it has a, a ute look to it. It looks a lot like a sport ute. Yeah. And to me, I mean, well, we know that Australians love their sport utility vehicles. Oh, for right? sure, They're, yeah. Not sport utility, but the utes, I guess, uh-huh. the uh, the car front end and the truck back end. Mm. And I was really surprised by the uh, the reaction to the Diora. I kind of am too, because you would I I would have assumed that it would be a similar enough concept, not a vehicle, not a similar vehicle really, but yeah. a similar enough concept that people might embrace it. But also, man, the Scott literally the only thing that I think is cool about it is that front. <laughs> That front hatch opening. Okay, fine. I know your I know your side of this whole thing. But oh yeah, you I don't need me surpri- to say it again. I, I was just surprised, and I know Noel's side of it too, by the way. Uh, but I was uh, I was surprised by the, um, the the Australian response. Now I know that's broad brush, you know, to say that sure. all Australians love their youth. Sure, but, sure. Uh, but but still, come on. We got you know we got uh, uh, some responses on Twitter where people were saying. And people were saying, whatever, I think it's cool. And then some people were saying, you know, I think it's both ugly as sin and great. Yeah, it's weird. It's it, it's weird that way. Now, it's a divisive car. You don't get many that say that because usually it's I hate it or I love it. Right, yeah. So, I don't know. Okay, maybe, maybe Ben, we should get into our topic for today. How about that? Are <laughs> we like seven, eight minutes into the show or something? Oh, man, that's, you know what, though? That's, that's fine with me because we're discussing important things. Part of the fun. Part of the fun, part, part of the of job, fun. my friends. All part of the fun. Now, you're going to hear a lot of paper turning from my side of the mm-hmm. table because I've got a lot of notes, which are, again, continuation from our Fair Lady podcast. And I guess we'll begin right in 1969 with the uh, Nissan S30 cars. Oh, yes, yes. The uh, famous S30. Now, this is something, listeners, that we um, – this is one of the things that people wrote to us about, right, Scott, and said, hey, guys – how are you going to do the fair lady without talking about this? The the previous episode we did was one of those episodes where we walked out still with half our notes. You yeah, know? sure, sure. And this is the beginning of the traditional or what you call the Z cars, I guess. Right, yeah. It's the first generation uh, from 1969 to 78, right? Yeah. And the S30 had a team of designers. They were led by a guy named uh, Yoshihiku Matsuo. And this was the head of the sports car styling studio at the time, uh, Nissan's studio. Mm-hmm. But, of course, for every fan of Z cars, you're saying, hey, wait a second. There's a different person whose name I remember, the famous Mr. K. Yeah, Mr. K, and his name was uh, Yatuka Kadiyama. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll try not to say that as many times as I can today. I'll say Mr. K if, I, <laughs> if, if possible. But i, I got to make maybe one possible correction, and I'm not entirely sure that I did this right or not. I think in my original notes I said uh, the president of Nissan Motor Corporation um, was, uh, well, his name is Mr. Katsuchi Kawamata, and I think I called him Mr. K early on, but that's not the true Mr. K. Now, Mr. K, um, again, as I said, was uh, Mr. Kadayama, and he's the one, and I think I did say this correctly, he's the one who lived to be age 105, and he mm-hmm. died just this year in 2015. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, but um, he was responsible for the October 1969 launch in the United States, so in, in America, and I think one other quick thing that we need to mention here, Ben, is that sure. even though this car launched in 1969, and I think it was a 1970 model year, and we're talking about 
what was really the Datsun 240Z. Um, the car was, uh, the beginning of this whole thing was in 1966, and the idea was to design a compact GT car that would have performance and comfort that would, uh, as as one person person put it, outrun its performance, which I, uh, I like yes. the way they say that. Yeah, that it would, it would cool. be a, like a level above the way they're going to price this thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you're going to feel comforts or creature comforts above the way it's priced. And uh, the prototype was built in 1966, and that would eventually become the 240Z in 1970. And that's when it launched, or 1969 as a 1970 model year. Right, and this goes through a couple different variants. There's later it becomes the 260Z, then the 280Z, but all of the variants have a couple things in common, right? Yeah. First is that they're all Nissan S30 cars. Yes, that is that is the most important yeah, one. Kind of an umbrella number. Mm-hmm. And they have they they all have, for instance, uh, McPherson struts in the front, Chapman struts in the back. Uh, they have independent suspension. But when we when we get down into the variants themselves, I don't know how far into this do you want to go? Well, you how know, how far what? down this rabbit hole, Scott? What, let's <laughs> let's walk through each model, maybe okay. the nineteen seventies, and I think we'll, we'll focus again mainly on the nineteen seventies, yeah. and we'll we'll get to the modern ones, but maybe with less detail because I think the interest here, the main interest, is in the nineteen seventy vehicles, the true Z cars. Yeah, so, and I I shouldn't Ooh, say you might be burning some oh, bridges, my friend. Okay, I take that back, <laughs> listeners. I didn't mean to say the true Z cars. I mean the first iteration of these things. The one and, true Z car. Yeah, and I should even say that. I mean, it, like we're talking like the first, um, I mean, let's talk about maybe the first three generations of Z cars in detail and then move on from there. Agreed, because I really want to see what you think about the most recent Z cars. And listeners, I want to hear what you think about these two. And and tell me, Scott, I promise this is the last time I'll mention this, but tell me if you think they are true Z cars. Oh, uh, don't. don't <laughs> Pigeonhole me like that because I'm I not. I'm not. I didn't mean. To, I didn't mean it that way. Yeah, I just what I what I meant was uh, the focus is on the original Z cars. The OGZs. I guess that, that's. I like it. I really like that. All right. Oh, OG. Maybe that's uh, Noel OG. Oh, Brown. nice. Yeah, maybe. Oh, okay. He nodded. That's the uh, Noel. That's the first uh, nickname from today that you nodded at. Yeah. All right. Well. Oh, okay. You heard the other ones. <laughs> this guy. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? All right. So. Let's start walking through the uh, the Nissan S30 cars, beginning right. with the 240Z. Now, it's important to note that the 240Z was Datsun's halo car at the time. So it was mm-hmm. one of those cars that they put in the showroom, and they know that you come to look at it because it was all new and exciting, and it was their sport GT car. But there's a good chance you're not going to walk out with that one. You're going to probably walk out with something, some other model that Nissan was, or Nissan Datsun was putting out at the time. Right. And, um, you know, production of this whole thing, uh, this particular vehicle went from about 1969 to 1973. And, uh, oh, you know, one quick thing. You had mentioned a few things that they all had in common. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of things like that. And, and as we get to the specs, I'll, I'll try to point a few of those out because I have a few marked here. Um, but you said something about the Chapman struts. Mm-hmm. Chapman struts in the and, rear. Yeah, those are those come from, as you may guess, uh, from um, Colin Chapman mm-hmm. of Lotus. Uh, he he mm-hmm. designed those. So that's a Lotus design rear suspension on those on those early cars. Um, and another thing that I want to mention here is that every one of these vehicles came equipped with either an inline six or a V6 engine uh, through the modern day. Yeah. So going back in history of the Z cars, you'll never find one with a four-cylinder engine or you'll never find one with an eight-cylinder engine that mm-hmm. came from the factory that way. Now, I know a lot of people shoehorn different things into right, those right, cars. Right. And there's turbo variations, of course, along the way, but they're all inline six or V6 engines from 1969 through present day. Mm-hmm. So if we, 
the 1970 through about, what would you say, halfway through 1971, 240Z yeah. was called the Series 1. And they have, they, they have a lot of differences that are, that are kind of cosmetic, kind of subtle, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but the, the most easily visible one is the, um, is the badge, the badging, of course, 240Z, and these horizontal vents in the rear hatch, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that's not the only thing. There was another uh, cosmetic difference that was actually, well, you know, I shouldn't say cosmetic, also functional difference. Okay. Uh, for the U.S. vehicles, the bumpers um, and emission controls de- uh, devices were a lot different. So you got to remember that we were going through that fuel crisis era, you know, where there were fuel rationing here in the United States mm-hmm. and uh, um, the oil embargoes and all that. And uh, so, so as this story plays out, you're going to see a lot of emissions control devices added to these vehicles, and it chokes the performance right out of these cars. Oh, and I'm no sure kidding. that I'm sure that Datsun, Nissan, and the consumers were very upset by this because as mm-hmm. we go through here, I can I can tell you different uh, horsepower numbers and, and torque numbers. Oh, and, for sure. Um, you know the prices and the weights and all that. It all plays back into, and not all of it, but most of it plays back into emissions control devices that were necessary at the time. You know these stringent. U.S. emissions mm. controls. And, uh, but, you know, that stuff is still happening today, of course, as we know. But the weight is going to be really interesting as we go through this because it, it shifts. Oh, uh, tremendously. Right. I've got a few notes about that, too. It's a, well, anyway, well, we'll let's get to do it. some specs for the 240 first. Sure. So, okay. So one of the most interesting things to me about the 240 is it has two valves per cylinder. <laughs> yes. Isn't that weird? Well, it seems weird now, right. uh, but then it wasn't. And, and that's yeah. why you got to look at this. You have to look at it through uh, the lens of 1970 mm-hmm. and, and understand that, you know, it wasn't crazy to have, uh, you know, two valves per cylinder. It wasn't crazy to have a single overhead cam. But, uh, you know, they also had cast iron blocks and they had um, yeah. drum brakes in the rear. Right. Uh, some, some weird things along, you know, you look at it now and think like, well, why did they do it that way? But again, 1970. Mm-hmm. And the, the strange thing is they carried it all the way through the 1970s. They could have upgraded to disc brakes, but I think they were doing it in order to keep the cost down. So to make, keep it, um, you know, true to the original idea that, you know, here's a, a modern style vehicle that, that outruns, outruns its price. price. Oh, very good, Ben. Yeah, we remember. Yeah, I remember the thing from a few minutes earlier. <laughs> I barely remember that. Actually, we did a retake yeah. on that one. <laughs> oh, you let all of our secrets out. And Ben, another thing we need to talk about is probably the transmissions because uh, uh, yeah, it, it sort of limited at first, but uh, along the way we'll have more and more options available. Right. So when it first comes out, it is a the the only thing you can get in 1970 is the four speed manual transmission at first, right? Yep. And then they added a five speed manual yep. and later a three speed automatic, which uh, was av- available after September of 1970. Now, right. now. This one comes with a specific badge. It says mm-hmm. uh, Nissan Full Automatic, the badge. It's like a special thing. It was a, you know, um, not a rare option or anything like that. Sure. But, uh, but I doubt many people went for the automatic option. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this, too. And, and listeners chime in as well. What, what do you think about that? Because to me, this seems like a car that needs to be stick. Yeah, and... This is back in the day when uh, you, you were better off driving a manual transit. Now that we have, you know, the modern automatics that are sure. more efficient, that yeah. you know, are, are shifting faster than that you can, can optimize. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is, again, this is decades before automatic transmissions got to the point they are now. So 
Uh, remember that you know it was, a, it was a better option really for a lot of reasons at that time. Mm-hmm. And speed wise, pretty good, pretty good speed wise. Yeah, 125 yeah. miles per hour tops out at zero to sixty in a flat eight seconds. Yeah, eight seconds. Now that's surprising that because, good. well, it is. I guess uh, you know for the again, time again for the time. Yeah, keep, <laughs> we keep saying that. Maybe we shouldn't have to keep saying that. But eight, <laughs> eight seconds now. I kind of consider six seconds about the cutoff or like you're moving along pretty good. Sure, sure. I guess in 1970, eight seconds wasn't all that bad compared to, you know, other vehicles that were, you know, in the 12 or 13 or 15 second range, zero to 60. Not too bad at all. I mean, these cars just look so cool. And fuel consumption kind of surprised me. Now, I guess it's probably because there's a cast iron V6 under the hood. Right. uh, But being aerodynamic as it was and Mm. small as it was, and well, I guess maybe the sportiness trades off a little bit on this, but... Uh, the typical fuel consumption was about 21 miles per gallon at the time. Now, mm-hmm. we've talked about fuel economy in the past, and uh, there were some pickup trucks at the time that were getting 67, 69, it's crazy. 71 miles per gallon. It's something, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it is as if so much of the rest of the world forgot that those used to be the kind of fuel consumption numbers we would see, you know, because you would hear people or excuse me, by people, I mean, manufacturers uh, saying, wow, look at this, look at this amazing car that gets almost 20 miles per gallon because of these new innovations. And I'm sitting here thinking, you guys, not to be a jerk, but do you remember the cars you were making in the 60s and the 70s? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, three times that number. Oh, easily sometimes. Yeah, which is cra- yeah sometimes. But um, maybe it has something to do with weight, too. Uh, you know, we can talk about weight if you want now, or yes. we can hang on because I think maybe there's a point later that weight becomes even more critical. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So let's move on okay. uh, from the 240Z to the 260Z, which was available. This is a this is an oddball. This is an oddball because if you were a resident of the U.S., you could buy it in 1974. Yeah, that's it. That's Just the only year. One year only for the U.S., the rest of the world, the other markets, everybody else, everybody else got it from 1974 through 1978. So there was a, an additional um, three years where we couldn't have it, but everybody else could. All right, I'm going to set you up for this one, uh, my friend. Mm-hmm. So why did that happen? Well, it was emissions, <laughs> as we mentioned earlier. Right, I was just there were just too many right. um, emissions that that uh, emissions issues that that. Uh, kept them from continuing with the 260 line here in the United States. And I'll just give you an example of why. Now, the um, I think the engine was enlarged, right? So the the, yeah. the engine was enlarged to uh, 2.6 liters mm-hmm. displacement. Now, the uh, the previous one, what did it have, 2.4 liters displacement? I think that was, right? Yeah, around there. Yeah, something like that. And um, no, it was. It was 2.4 liters. And so they enlarged this engine. Mm-hmm. They called it the L26 instead of the L24 like they did before, so it makes sense, right? And not to get too political, but Uncle Sam comes in and says, you've got to reduce your ignition timing and compression ratio to, yeah. to lower, to, to hit the emission standards. Yeah. But this makes, this lowers the power output. Yes. Yeah. Serious consequence with the horsepower output. And that lowered, uh, the power output to 140 horsepower. And, Here's here's where the frustrating part is. The rest of the world, the, yeah. you know, the other markets, mm-hmm. the same engine, the same package, everything except for the you know the uh, the U.S. emissions packages that were on these cars, yeah, allowed them to get 165 horsepower. So you're talking about 25 additional horsepower in a car that only has 140 to begin with. That that's a lot. That's a huge increase percentage wise. Yeah, but uh, but they didn't give up because Datsun about partway through, you know, you, the one you hear called the 1974 
point five mm-hmm. model. Yeah. Uh, that had the full one hundred and sixty five uh, horsepower, but it had the it also had this addition of these uh, five mile per hour safety bumpers. Mm-hmm. And later, you know, we'll see that play into the 280. Yeah, that's coming up very soon, I promise. But, um, you know, can I just mention, we, we talked about the 1975 and these, these safety bumpers and all this. Yeah. Um, I, there's, a, there's another little side, interesting side note, I think, that in late 1974, the US 260Z models, uh, which were sometimes, as you said, the 74 and a half models. Right, right. Um, carried these heavier bumpers that remained um, in place for the 280Z, and that was all part of um, a new United States bumper legislation that was Ooh. enacted in 1973, and that's Ooh. where we got all those kind of crazy big rubber bumpers that were on cars. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people uh, lament that, even now, that you know the old chrome bumper designs went over to these big plastic bumpers, and it, and it sure. in a lot of ways it harmed the styling of sports cars and, and sedans and everything along with luxury cars, everything. And, you know, I, I am sure, Scott, that there is a safety calculation there. Of course. Right. And so do we choose style over safety? It, it just, okay, here's the thing. I was thinking about this earlier, uh, why we're so many style cues have been lost to time because of safety or regulation. I'm not saying that regulation is bad by any means. What what I am saying though is that it's sad and when we were doing our episode on the Aurora safety car, aka the smile and jackass, um which also has very good intentions, of course. Remember how they had that big scoop bumper and the idea was that they could just scoop someone up instead of uh breaking their legs? Sure, it was like a concave cow catcher. Right. Instead of the con- <laughs> you know, the one that the cow catchers normally push them off to the side, but this is yeah. actually a true catcher, like a pedestrian catcher. So here's my question, though. Uh, we were both fairly skeptical about the safety bumpers of actual capability to be safe. Yeah. So my question is, if someone's already getting hit by a car, how much safer is that? Is that rubber bumper? Well, this five mile per hour thing that they've got, you know, the rubber bumpers with the absorbers and everything. I think that was more of a, a low speed traffic thing. Okay, so that, uh, so uh, that you would just be kissing fenders. Exactly much. right. Yeah. yeah, it wouldn't cause such damage, and not only that, it reduces shock to the people inside in low speed. Yeah. Now I know if you're going thirty five or forty, that really doesn't matter at all. It doesn't even, it doesn't like take away five miles per hour from the impact or anything like that. <laughs> right, right. It doesn't work that way. It's that if you're at a low speed and you bump into somebody, the people inside maybe, maybe won't get whiplash. You know, that's, that's probably the situation they're talking about. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and last on the business. 
understand now. She's a wise man, Marie's a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I, I see you're you're getting back at me for that uh, one true Z car thing <laughs> by, by by implying please. that I am yeah, that I want everyone to have whiplash. Yeah, please, Ben, please stop talking about the true Z car. I did I, I didn't mean it. I really didn't mean it. I, I'm such a I, I you know what I'm being such a Benedict Arnold right now <laughs> because I, I I did just promise that I wouldn't bring it up again. All right, okay, can I move on with this one then, please? Yeah, yeah okay. okay. Anything right. anything to get past that? I just want to say, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want people to have whiplash. I just like chrome bumpers. Sounds like you do. Sounds like you do want people to have whiplash, Ben. You know what? If I uh, if I had to say it, uh, I'll be honest with you. My curmudgeon's coming out. This is a total side note. It has nothing to do with the Z cars, which are fantastic. I think a lot of people fake whiplash. <laughs> I think a lot of people do. I think you're right. But uh, who's, how about this? What? Noel Whiplash Brown. Ooh, that's a good one. That's actually a pretty good one. No, he doesn't no, think maybe so. Maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, All right. So here's uh, here moving on with the uh, the Z car story. Uh-huh. The 260Z. There's a little bit more to say about this one. Yeah. Uh, there was a U.S. version, which was a two seater only, and then there was also a in Europe for a while they built a 260Z that was a two plus two design. So, uh, you know, that's typically two adults in the front, two kids in the back because right. way way cramped. We back talked there. about those tiny token. Back seats. Exactly right. So these two cars, if you see a U.S. version of the 260Z, which is pretty rare because it was only built for one year here. Right. Or sold for one year here. Mm. And a European version of the 260Z 2 Plus 2, you're going to notice that they have dramatically different roof lines. One has a, a much longer, drawn-out design yeah. versus the U.S. design, which is a little bit more abrupt. It, it drops yeah, there's off a the longer back. slope in the European one because they have to squeeze in those quote-unquote back seats. Well, exactly right. It's got a longer... It's got a longer, flatter roof mm-hmm. on it, I guess, so just to uh, you know, put it succinctly, I suppose. Um, and other things that we should just mention, because sure. uh, these are some improvements over the 240Z that came along the way. And a few of these we mentioned already, but they have improved AC controls, mm-hmm. stiffer chassis. Uh, there was a rear sway bar that was added. They also had a redesigned dashboard and new seat trim and door panels. I know that's all cosmetic stuff. I get it. They moved the taillights around too, and part of that was a part of that was a styling cue, and then another part of it was a result of the bumper legislation we mentioned earlier. Yeah, yep. And uh, you know, it's funny when they mention the uh, the two sixty Z specs, they give it the full amount here in the uh, in the document that I'm looking at. They don't mm-hmm. cut it all the way down to the one forty like it was initially. Mm-hmm. So. Um, <laughs> They say that its uh, its power is 162 horsepower, which is actually a 10 horsepower increase over the 240Z, and torque is up a little bit as well, up by about 11 pound feet up to 157 pound mm-hmm. feet. Um, again, these are these are still carbureted. Now, the the original 240Z was carbureted. This one is carbureted as well. We're going to find when we get to the uh, 280Z that changes. I'm sure that's right. not going to surprise you what they're going to change to. But um, <laughs> yeah, again. so the 240 260Z use uh, use twin variable Venturi Hitachi one barrel side draft carburetors, and those those carburetors, those specific ones for the 240 and 260, 
1973, they were changed to a different carburetor. Yeah. The Weber. Weber. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, spot so, on. So the Weber. And you would think, now, along the way, when I've, I've been kind of doing little projects on, you know, small, smaller cars that I sure, had sure. Uh, that were carbureted, I heard often, you know, the name Weber carbs kind of thrown around that that was like an upgrade, right? But uh, that was not necessarily the case in this with this vehicle, right? Right, yeah. The uh, the the Weber is not an not exactly an innovation. Yeah, it wasn't like an upgrade. No. The, the previous or the original carburetor that came with them was actually a better carb. Yeah, uh, for performance. Right, it was superior. So, I guess you know, Scott, at the risk of turning today's episode into an old man get off my lawn rant about emissions, <laughs> sure. I just want to point out that yet again for the U.S. market. Emission regulations were the problem. Yeah, yeah that's problem. why they had to. That's why they had to do those carburetors. Well, you're right, and you know these real. I, guess, I keep saying stringent, but the stringent U.S. emissions control devices that mm-hmm. were added to this thing. You know the the additional uh, requirements for catalytic converters and sure. stuff to kind of scrub the exhaust before it enters the atmosphere. Right, all that stuff adds weight to this vehicle, and that was one thing that I found really really interesting about uh, these cars as I started looking at them. I didn't realize how heavy some of these early Z cars were. Yeah, so what was the 240Z? The 1970 240Z is 2,301 pounds. And uh, and this one is, again, the same weight, 2,980 2, pounds for the 260Z. So, again, like you said, a 700-pound jump almost. Mm-hmm. That's huge. And this thing grows throughout its 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 age uh, a lot like the Mazda Miata did and a lot of people have talked about that mm-hmm. so or the uh, or or while we're on the subject uh how about the the incredible growing Mini Cooper I knew you were going to say the Mini Cooper yeah. I just feel like it's weird well, don't call I, it a Mini I can't give you the Mini example because I didn't prepare for no, it No that's fine to, that's fine but I can tell true, you yeah, I fine. can tell you how the 240 uh, well, I'm sorry the Z cars have grown over the years and I can tell you how the Miatas have grown Yeah over let's years. look at that all right, so what I think I said earlier was the, and I think, because I'm jumbling this around so much, but the 1970 240Z is about 2,301 pounds, right? That's 1970. Now, if you go through the to the modern-day Nissan 370Z, which we'll eventually get to, right? Um, I, I've got a number here for the 2009 version. It is 3,232 pounds, and that's down from its heaviest weight at 3,602 pounds, for the Nissan 350Z in 2002, so it lost weight recently. Man. But this thing has grown enormous over the years. Now, I understand why that happened. That's the pattern, though. Well, that's always the pattern, and that's the pattern, as we said, with uh, the Mini. Mm-hmm. That's the pattern with the Miata, and I've got numbers for the Miata, as I said. Um, the first-generation Miata in 1989 weighed 2,070 pounds. Now the fourth-generation is down again, so they did the same thing. They, they cut it down to 2,200 pounds, but it reached a high point in the third generation, in 2005, of 2,542 pounds. So this thing gained 500 pounds over just a few years, really. Um, I think it's about 16 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, gained, no, not 16. Yeah, 16 years. Gained um, uh, more than 500 pounds. And now it's back down again. But the, the Z cars did the same type of thing. They gained several hundred pounds over the, over the years. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, like now it's kind of the, uh, the trend, I guess, to reduce that, to, to well, find ways to cut weight. It's, it's good that material science is finally starting to catch up with some of that stuff. Yeah. Know? And I, I know that's a little bit boring, but when you think back to our, our conversation about the Corvette, yeah. how, and I found this so fascinating about the Corvette is that when someone came to the design board, you know, to the uh, design room or whatever, mm-hmm. the, the studio, with an idea for something to put on this car. 
they had to fight for that whatever it was to be put on the car because they said we're we're going to protest every pound that's added to this vehicle. Absolutely, everything has to be earned. Everything has to be functional in some way. And if you can't find a way to reduce the weight, we're going to work on it until we do find a way to reduce mm-hmm. the weight. Or so, we're just not going to put it in. Yeah, and that's the way a lot of these manufacturers are looking now. Nissan is is doing that. Mazda is doing that with the Miata, mm-hmm. uh, Chevrolet. You know, they're all seeming to find ways to reduce weight. Not everybody across the board, but sports car manufacturers. Well, this is this is something that might be interesting to people. Uh, there is a strange parallel between building a sports car and building a rocket building a rocket ship, you mm-hmm. know, or a space shuttle, because you have to account for the energy it will take to propel every, really down to like the gram, Sure, you know, uh, yeah. if you're talking about some more highly sophisticated calculations. Yeah, it's not simply just a matter of removing the weight. It's like, well, what does that do to the rest of the equation? Right. You know, yeah. So where thing. is the weight placed? Mm-hmm. Uh, this, yeah, to me, this is a, a fascinating thing that people much, much more intelligent than I are, are doing on a daily basis. And if you do this for a living, I'd love to hear from you. How do you, how do you handle the weight distribution and how do you handle this strange calculation that you have to do every time? We talked about aerodynamics uh, in the past and we, yeah. I think it was the, uh, the Bugatti Veyron. They said something like it's, it's pretty easy to make a car that'll do 180 miles an hour. And it was like, it only, it only <laughs> right. requires this amount of horsepower and, uh, yeah. and, and a general aerodynamic shape. But the, the last 100 miles an hour up to 280. Yeah. That's where the faster you go, the more wind fights you. And the more wind fights you, the more you have downforce. And the more downforce you have that, you know, it's, it just goes on and on and on. And there's this big equation where you get to a point where there's no, uh, return on that. And that, right. Power. It's a diminishing return. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So again, Different conversation, oh, different yeah, podcast. Yeah, different conversation. But, so, but, so you want to move on to 1975 to 1978 because it's yeah, a big turn here. Yeah, this is the 280Z. Uh, super famous. The engine size, again, is increased. This time it's 2.8 liters. And they do this by uh, making a bigger bore in the L26 engine. And they make it in L28. Also, the biggest thing, because we were just talking about carburetors, right, Scott? Yep. So the one of the biggest changes is that this is the first Z with a fuel injection system. Yeah, they finally switched over to a Bosch L Jetronic fuel injection system with an electric fuel pump and um, a few other advances along the way, too. I mean, we're still in the 1970s, so you got to take that at heart. You know, that um, they're still um, using that cast iron block. They're still using right. a single overhead camshaft. Um, but they do have a bigger engine. They do have a, a lot more power coming out of this thing. I guess a... A, um, not a significant increase, but an increase. It's up to sure. 170 horsepower. Mm-hmm. Torque is about 163 pound feet. And, uh, you can get it in a four speed manual. You can get a five speed manual or a three speed automatic still. Yeah. Yeah. Still. Uh, so they're, they're not really messing with some of the things that they've already established that are working, but they do add a, a couple of different things and they change some stuff too. One thing that's interesting, this this goes to a sidebar too, Scott, if that's okay. So the 280Z doesn't have a full-size spare tire. It has one of those space saver tires. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Um, I, had a, I had a 78 Trans Am that surprisingly had a space saver spare. So without right. going into what everybody thinks about space saver spares, other than to say I hope you don't have to ride on one for long uh, – there's a thing that has occurred in recent years that I'll say it, it bugs the hell out of me. You know, I see these people who 
just assume people who are not car people just assume that there is a spare tire in their car. I already know what you're going to say. You know man. exactly what I'm going to say because it pops, right? You're on the interstate, you're on, uh, you know, I 85 or something, you got to pull over. And so it's your first time looking in your trunk or whatever. Yeah, you, you pull, don't find a spare. Yeah, you yeah, pull it back. You do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to pull back the, uh, the uh, carpet, right? Right. Pull then, back the, open the mat. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And there's going to be a little compartment there uh-huh. or either off to the side or underneath. Sure. And you got to pull that little cardboard piece out and right. then, Lo and behold, here's the big surprise, right? What do we find there? A can of Fix-A-Flat. Yeah. And possibly, well, and likely, you'll find a very small electric air pump. Right, right. That, that plugs into your, your, um, you know, your accessory power. Right, your, into your, your power outlet. Yeah, your old cigarette lighter, I guess, if you yeah. call it that. Um, but do you, yeah. Do you think people even know those are cigarette lighters uh, that they used to be? <laughs> I think, I think it's uh, still generally known. Okay. Know? And I've seen, I think even in some cars they call them cigar lighters. You know, it depends on the level of vehicle that you have. I right, think, uh, right. Luxury cars. A luxury car. A cigar like lighter. A yeah. cigar lighter. Yeah, but, uh, and the glove box is your caviar cooler. <laughs> right? Generally they're, they're power outlets now. Right. And, um, and that would be surprising to a lot of people, I think. And especially if you have a sidewall blowout. Uh, you're just out of it's luck. It's game over. Yeah. yeah. Call the tow truck. Exactly. I've been in, you know, a, uh, a pet boys before when someone comes in looking for a new can of fix a flat because, uh, and this is surprising that, you know, their old can has expired. So they're replacing it. And that's really good. For, I mean, good for them that they're paying attention sure, to stuff like that. Sure. Stay on top of your stuff. Yeah. But, you know, for a lot of people, I think it's a big surprise when they first open that compartment and find that there's no spare tire. Yeah. I just, I, it, Boggles the mind. So uh, even I say that because that bugs the heck out of me. But a space saver spare is still better than a can of fix a flat. Yeah, it definitely is. As long as you keep it inflated, right? I mean, that's the <laughs> other thing is that you know some of these cars with the fix a flat also have run flat tires. You know that are good for fifty right. miles with zero air pressure, and yeah. that's fine as long as you've got. And I think most of those cars do have the tire inflation warning systems, you know, the uh, the sensors and the right, wheels yeah, that yeah. tell you you've got a flat, because otherwise you could drive and not really know, mm-hmm. not really understand what's going on. Oh, so uh, one of the things that they get, though, in sacrificing the space that a full spare would take, they get a larger fuel tank in the 280. Not bad. That's, a, that's an okay trade-off. But I it's, think so. But it's, uh, again, it, I'm sure it's a weight trade-off, but uh, you get to carry more fuel, which is probably important in a car like that, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have, uh, I don't have uh, the... Fuel economy numbers for this car specifically, but um, I'm guessing uh, based on the trend of you know the uh, the mileage increasing for the 260Z because I think it went up to um, what was it 20 before or 21? It went up to like 21 to 28 for the uh, 260Z. I would guess that the uh, the mileage also went up for this one, but it is a sportier engine, so I don't know. I mean, as far right. as like more power output, might be a little um, thirsty. Maybe, maybe, but I think fuel injection helps that as well. So. Ah, now you can go into you can go into forums and see people's guess on this ah. because no go ahead because I think often you will find that people argue about you know uh, essentially they're arguing about their garage baby but what I'm talking about is original mileage and that's why I started to interrupt you is that uh, I original. think it all depends on and what the factory say it would get and what you're getting now um, you know versus uh, you know. Uh, I guess the older way that the EPA would measure this as well, because right. uh, that's changed along the way too. So there's all these different variables but that play into this. I saw I saw numbers as low as like just under 19 mpg. That's not terrible. I that's guess. not you know, terrible. For, this that's is a sports terrible. car. It's a sports GT car, so that's right. kind of expected that you're gonna you're gonna have the trade off for the fuel economy with the uh, the sportier you know and if you performance and, and you know when people remove those bumpers. <laughs> 
they, I, I'm serious, man. They <laughs> get, true. they get like a 5% MPG increase. Yeah, you know, right, cause the, the carryover bumpers, the rubber bumpers carried over from the 260Z onto the 280Z. And, um, you know, I think it was that five mile per hour, you know, rubber. Yeah. You know, traffic friendly bumper. I don't uh, know what to call it really. Um, but also, in addition to that, these, these U.S. safety emissions or, or emissions <laughs> and safety requirements continued to pile onto these cars. And that's uh, why they continued to gain weight along the way. So, Back to that weight issue that we talked about. And, you know, we should also mention that within the 280Z um, uh, production run, I guess, there was a couple of special edition vehicles that we should mention. And those ah, happened in yes. 1977 and 1978. Oh, okay. I love these. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable Internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene. And last hour on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, you want to mention them? Uh, the Zap edition in <laughs> 1977. Zap. Yeah, okay, so they're called Zaps, uh, or a special decor package, excuse me, folks. Uh, the Zaps all had this sunshine yellow paint. Oh, and black stripes. And black stripes, okay. yeah. Well, that helps a little bit, but sunshine yellow paint, I don't know. It's it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, there were about, mm, a guesstimate would be about a thousand of these were sold with this special package. Mm -hmm. 
um, or at least were created. And and they also had these orange chevrons at the end of the stripes. Yeah. So they're very distinctive car. I don't know about I don't know about you guys. I'm not really the type to drive a yellow car. Mm. Uh, just I feel like I would be driving a construction sign. You mean like a like a, a bright yellow? Car, like a right? bright yellow? Yeah. Yeah, or even I don't know, man. I would prefer I prefer very neutral. I, I know it's boring, you guys, but like a, a black car or a gray car. That's like a blue or maybe a British racing green, something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. but side note, you know that. Uh, that escape your your car, the one you have right now, is, is beautiful. It's like a darker uh, bluish. Yeah, right? it's a night blue metallic. I think. Is what yeah, that's call cool. It. That's Thank cool. I would drive that. Huh. I got this weird on the escape. I got this weird paint job. Uh, it's it's a red of some variety. I'm I'm too cheap to change it. Uh, it but I I learned recently. It's kind of dumb, but I learned recently. For some reason, it appears that birds poop more on red cars. <laughs> Come on, not personal experience. I was reading. So I, I had to uh, on this other um, this other thing we do at work. I was working on this script about why bird poop is white, and so of course I started reading about the you know uh, the effect it can have on cars, sure. right? And yeah. the paint the paint on your car, which very damaging. Yeah, surprise! It's not good for it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I kept running into this weird statistic or this weird anecdotal thing where people said, well, you know, birds do understand color and they, they tend to defecate more on red cars. And I'm sitting there, you know, neck deep in research and going, oh, yeah, of course they do, don't they? I don't buy that. I don't know why I don't buy it, but I don't buy that. It seems strange. I'm going to look into it. Just if you drive a red car or if you drive more than one car, let us know if there's one that, that your neighborhood birds seem to appreciate yeah, more. Weigh in on the issue because I'd be interested to find out to, uh, if you're finding that's the case. Anyway, that's a yeah, So zap cars, zap <laughs> yeah, cars. Zap. All right. So there was one other one that we mentioned that happened in 1978 because that, that previous the zap was 1977. Right. 1978, they came out with a second special edition vehicle. It's called the Black Pearl Edition. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one sounds like it has more promise to me. This one yeah. is a this one is a black pearlescent paint job and also featured a special appearance package uh which had a dual racing mirrors or oh, like that. Yeah, it's a little more than the Zap. Yeah, rear window louvers which by the way I like on any sports car. Right. And a unique red and silver stripe which I'm 50/50 about. Maybe that's okay, but um it's estimated that between 750 and 1500 of these cars were produced. Now that's a big range. Yeah. How can they not know how many uh, what was it? Black Pearl edition cars they built. It's weird because for these special, these special decor packages or special appearance packages, there are estimates in both, in both, uh, cases, but there aren't concrete numbers. Yeah. So I, yeah, I wondered about that too. I don't know. I don't, I don't quite get exactly why that, uh, why that number isn't more accurate. I'd love to, I'd love to see one in person. I, I would, yeah, I would like to see one too. I mean, look one up after we Probably, uh, I'm, I'm probably here. more a, a Black Pearl fan than, uh, than, than the Zap. I gotta say you're right. Now, mm. you know, moving past this one, I think, uh, now that's kind of the end of our, uh, our, our, um, I'm not gonna say it. I'm not going to say the word, <laughs> but I'm going to say that's the end of 1970s Z cars, really. Right, because, the S30 was um, replaced. All right, Ben, so basically we're through just the first generation of Z cars. Now, we're going to quickly go through the rest, I promise, because the first gen, this is a little confusing. The S30 cars that we mentioned, uh-huh. that actually is three different vehicles. That was the 240Z, the 260Z, and the 280Z. Those are all first gen 
Z cars, all under the S30 umbrella. Now, the second gen, which begins in 1978, so just at the tail end of the 1970s, these cars are called the S130 cars. And from this point forward, mm-hmm. all these generations are going to come much more quickly. It's not going to span eight years. you know, right. or, or it might span that amount of time, but there's not going to be that many variants to it. It's not going to be the 240, 260, 280. It's going to be a single exactly. vehicle or maybe two at most. Yeah. So here we are in the second generation, the S130 cars, 1978 to 1983. Nissan still Datsun, um, and that's important to mention. Here we go. Put together the 280ZX. Right, and some people initially were critical about these 280ZXs for a couple of different reasons. You know, it'll happen whenever you change something that has a lot of loyalty behind it. People will say, ah, the good, the old stuff was better. Uh, but here's the thing. The 280ZX was successful in sales. Yeah, that's true. But when you get to, uh, also, you gotta remember that they also kind of changed the, the shape of the thing as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit longer because, you know, they had the 280, uh, yeah, the 280ZX, I'm getting these a little confused, 280ZX two seater, but they also had a two plus two, which we were just now getting to see in the U.S. Yeah. And that's a longer, uh, design and uh, people, they're kind of 50-50 about this. You know, they didn't know right. if they liked it or not. Um, it was, uh, not as polarizing as we're probably making it out to be here by <laughs> yeah. any means, but um, again, it's kind of a heavy vehicle. It, it weighs in at something like, you know, two thousand eight hundred twenty-four pounds for the two-seater, and the and the the two plus two is almost three thousand pounds. Yeah, but they they also just in in their defense, from nineteen eighty on, you could also get that T bar. Oh, that's true. Which isn't bad. That's and, cool. And I gotta say, you know, as um, I think it was Jimmy pointed out, yeah, you know, that the uh, the T tops and everything yeah. in this car. Um, I had a car that had T-tops and I really enjoyed them. The only problem was the little latches didn't work on them. So at speed, they would kind of flap a little bit. They seem like, like it seems like the latches on T-tops are continually breaking. Well, also, you got to think about this. There's an additional, I don't know, about nine feet of seals that, uh, that can leak above you. And yeah, uh, a lot true. of people don't think about that. You know, these, these, these rubber seals that were built in, you know, the late 1970s. Not the best things, you know, for keeping water out right. you know, when it's really a deluge, you know, like it's it's one thing to have a leaky sunroof. But when you've got all that material above you that can leak mm-hmm. and they often did. Then you have to maintain it. You know, <laughs> yeah, the weather can wear. That was trouble. Yeah, well, it just seemed uh, to be trouble. So 1980, something interesting happens. Yeah. The 10th anniversary car comes out. Mm-hmm. And so this is just a, this is another, you know, cosmetic package. They build about 3000 in the cars. uh most were in black and gold. Yeah, with right. gold emblems. Yeah, red two-tone paint. And then uh, they had leather seats and other kind of special goodies. Yeah, yeah. and you know what? Still selling well because they sold something like half a million units, which mm-hmm. isn't bad at all. I mean, that's that's pretty big. And you know what? One thing that I haven't really said along the way here, and I just want to just throw this out there yeah, as a yeah. general blanket statement. Is and that, you mean, when you say half a million, you mean the, uh, the ZX, the 280ZX, not, yes. not the ha- anniversary edition. No, exactly right. I mean the ZX, cumulative Z sales, right. Z car sales. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, I also want to throw this out there, and this is just for all the Z cars, you know, from the beginning to end, like from 1969 through today. Uh-huh. These cars have been so successful. They've got such a successful racing history. Uh, they sell well. They've uh, they've won lots of awards along the way. You know, some big magazines have given them top awards along the way. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a popular car. It's a it's a really good car. It's well put together. Um, I, I don't mean to sound like a commercial for Nissan Datsun, <laughs> but it's going to come <laughs> off that way. That, but I mean, 
national championships for um, different racing series, you know, like C production series, right? Um, uh, you know, IMSA championships and SCCA championships and uh, GTO championships, GTU championships, just mm-hmm. a, a number of these along the way. Paul, uh, Paul Newman drove these. Bob Sharp and Scott Sharp drove these. Um, uh, rated as rated as some of the best cars per decade, bar none. Uh, the in the 1990s, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, uh, the the 300ZX is listed as uh, one of the top 10 mm-hmm. sports cars. And in the 1970s, the OGZ, the 240Z, is listed as the number two best car of the 1970s. I still like OG for Noel's nickname. Yeah, me too. I think yeah. I'm sold on that. All right. Well, maybe we'll just stick with uh, that So, one. hey, uh, pop quiz, though. Do you want to guess what the number one car of the 1970s was? All right, Ben. I, I know this is probably a setup, but I'm going to go yeah. ahead and say it's one of the, the Datsun or Nissan Z cars. You know, that, that, that is a respectable answer. I do know there's a pop quiz, but uh, I'm not clever enough to try to trick people that way. I'm flattered, but I'm not clever. Well, enough. you're tricking me by making it another vehicle. Not that you made it another vehicle, but you know that it is another vehicle. The Ferrari Daytona. That's that's the one it is. The most popular the sports that's car. Number one. Uh, most popular or, or most uh, the best sports car of 1970s. Oh, I see. Which you could tell by that poll, it's a little bit subjective. Sure. Let me just go out and uh, say that. Just a little bit. Just a bit. <laughs> okay. Uh, but that's you know that's according to uh, the Sports Car International poll. All right. All right. All right. Well, you fooled me. All right, Ben, so I think we should get back into the Z car discussion here, and we're picking it up with the third generation of Z car, and that is from 1983 to 1989. This is called the Z31, and... Um, Otherwise known as the 300ZX. Yeah, 300ZX, you're right, and that's a, it's a very popular model, mm-hmm. uh, but it still looks a lot like those first and second generation vehicles, those, right. those first and second gen Z cars. Yeah. Um, now, Nissan has completely, and I should say this, somewhere along the line in 1985, so right in the middle of this third-generation vehicle, Nissan drops the Datsun badge completely worldwide. So yeah. they're not referred to as Datsuns anymore, so there's none of that confusion. You know, is this the Nissan here in this market? Is this the Datsun? It's totally gone worldwide, and they've done it to standardize the brand name. But they did retain the rights to use that Datsun name, as we found out back in 2013 with that economy car episode that we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so they did bring it back, but they dropped it for this because they wanted to standardize uh, all their cars to be just called Nissans at that point. So that happened in 1985. Yeah, and additionally, there are, uh, outside of just that badge dropping, there are a lot of under-the-hood changes that take place. Uh, this marks the introduction of Japan's first mass-produced V6 I think you could still get both an inline and a V. Yeah, inline and a V, and you could also get a turbo version of the inline and a V. So mm-hmm. you get a turbo V6 and inline turbo as well. Right. Uh, we talked about. Have we talked about the special editions of these yet? We have not. Okay, good. Because I'm getting. I got all these special edition notes, and I'm 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 getting. <laughs> Let's get, have them. Getting lost a little bit. All right. So, so there were two special editions of the Z31 Gen. Uh, one was a 50th anniversary edition. It just had some more luxury features. That was in 84. And then there was the Shiro Special, which came out in 88, and actually had some performance upgrades. Now, I need to clarify something. Yeah. I think that 50th anniversary edition that you're talking about is actually the 50th anniversary of Nissan, right? Not of – or Datsun Nissan, not of the Z cars, of course. Right. Or, the yeah. fair, or even the Fairlady right, right, cars. Right, right, right. Because that comes later in 2010. I think mm-hmm. they've got the 40th anniversary. So. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that makes sense. And then, um, 
Uh, where do you want to go? You want to go from the, from there? We're at the Nissan 300ZX, uh, which is the third gen. We can go up to the fourth gen, which is uh, from 1989 to 2000. Yeah. And this is an all-new design, right? Yeah, this is this is a brand-new kid on the block. Mm-hmm. And this is the Z32, you know, following on the heels of the Z, Z31. And uh, this is also called the uh, the Nissan 300ZX as well, but it's kind of like the, the second version of this car. Right. Um, even the, but they still do call it the fourth generation vehicle. So, yeah. um, built from, uh, I think it was 1989 to 2000, as I said. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this one, this one is a radically sty- different style. Yeah. The them. body's wider. It's rounder. That's one of the first things you notice when you look at it. It's drag is actually a little bit increased. Uh, so under the hood, it has some, some normal things, but when you, when you look at it, okay, let me, Put it this way. I know a lot of people are not going to agree with this, but uh, one of the first things one of my buddies said when he, when he saw it was uh, this years ago. Um, he when he saw the when Saturn came out afterwards, he said, "Wow, that looks like a that looks like a busted." No way. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. In I the front. I don't know? think that at all. Yeah, I, I, I don't agree. I, I, I don't I, agree. But he's. I, I can kind of see what he's talking about with the way they changed the headlights. Uh, okay. All right. You know what? In the front. Now that you're saying it, I can look at this photo that I'm, I'm looking at here in front of me of the uh, <laughs> uh, again of the Z32. Uh, I've just remember, Z car, and yeah. it's tough to to put those two together because they're nothing alike. They but, are but, nothing. But alike. I do see what he's saying. If you stretched it uh, left to right, you stretched it out. Yeah. It's a possibility that it could have, could have come from the same vehicle. I think but, also uh, he just didn't like Saturn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, apparently he didn't like him? apparently didn't like Nissan Z cars either. I mean, <laughs> to, to, to compare it to that. But anyways, I, when you said some some usual things under the hood, I mean, they had a V six, but they also had a twin turbo V six at yeah. this point, which is a big deal. Yeah, and uh, there was a lot more to this too. I mean, I know a lot of people uh, bought this vehicle because. Uh, you know, maybe the maybe the Porsche at the time was a little too much for them, and they thought, well, this has got similar performance, and it really did. Uh, not, of course, the 911 Turbo or any of that. Mm-hmm. I understand, but there were there were models of Porsche that were available at the time that were comparable. And some people, I know, I know one guy that bought one of these that bought it specifically for like autocross racing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, taking it to the track, um, just having fun with it. And I think the the question was, was he going to buy a Porsche Boxster, which was available then? Or is he going to buy this? And he, he went with this instead and was very happy with it for a long, long time. I know he ha- held on to it, too. Oh, man, yeah. And just to just to give us a comparison to the earlier, to the 240, uh, this this vehicle now has a 0 to 60 time that, according to, depending on who you ask, is probably a better way to say it, mm-hmm. somewhere between 5 and 6 seconds. It has a top speed of 155 miles per hour, and that is with a governor, my friend. With a governor. Yeah. So you can drop that off, you know, and hey, tune yeah. these things to whatever you want. Right One thing we would definitely uh, say is don't don't feel like you have to do that. <laughs> that's, that's a safe way to cover our rears on that one, right? But it but is your car. You could do that if you wanted to do that. But um, now, now we get to a point where there's a two-year break in production. That's from right. 2000 to 2002 mm-hmm. uh, before we get to the fifth generation, which, again, is an all-new design. Now, I think, I think... This is the one, and I, I just read this somewhere along the way, so I, I hope I'm not mixing this up, but I think this is the the redesign uh, for the 350Z, and this is a, a big deal, this launch, um, to bring back the 350Z uh, after the two-year you know drop in production or, or layover in production, uh-huh. um, called the Z33, and again, all-new design, but I think this is the one that came around just after Renault bought about 44% of the Nissan stock. 
So that's kind of a big deal is that yeah. maybe it was Renault pushing them to say, let's get back into the Z car game because we know that can sell. We know that'll make some money for the company. That and makes perfect sense. And, and people love it. Yeah. So let, let's do that. So I think that was, uh, again, I, I hope I'm not mixing up that with the fourth gen, but I think that was the fifth gen. And then on to the sixth gen, which is uh, a lot of people have a hard time distinguishing the fifth gen and the sixth gen. Uh, the, the sixth gen, which is the present generation, is this 370Z. And there's a few cosmetic differences you can look mm-hmm. for. One that I always look for, and I learned this somewhere along the way, Ben, is that um, it, it's very similar to 350Z except for the headlight design and the taillight design. Yeah. And when you look at them, if you if you think about it this way, um, you know, one versus the other one, the 370 has more of a boomerang shape to the to the front light and, and the uh, and the taillight compared to the 350Z. And that's really one way to quickly distinguish the two in traffic. But I know there's a lot of other changes along the way. I mean, other things that distinguish them. Mm-hmm. One thing would be that, you know, there's a seven-speed automatic offered that wasn't right. wasn't prior to this. Um, and a six-speed manual, but I think the six-speed manual is also available on the uh, 350Z. There's uh, other cosmetic changes, you know, along the way. The body is slightly different in other places. But, again, the headlamps and the tail lamps are just the easy, quick way to identify them in traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and let's – when we're talking about traffic – uh, speaking of amazing segues, let's talk about racing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is an amazing segue. Oh man, you know, uh, I look at it the way I look at land and planes. Any uh, any segue you can walk away from. Uh, all right, let's so, walk away from that one. Let's walk away. Ah, see, that was funny. Oh, it's, it's almost like a, a Muppets moment right there. <laughs> you know? Oh man, like the old curmudgeons in the audience or something. You're pushing me. Yeah, you, know? you push people, Scott. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. So uh, racing, we have to talk about racing because the awards and recognition that you see uh, this vehicle getting are they exist both in the world of racing and they exist in just the world of. Uh, Car reviews, like right? Street cars, yeah, like street cars. So, nineteen ninety five GTS three hundred ZX car uh, debuts at Daytona, and it ends up placing first in the GTS one class at the twelve hours of Sebring. That is also the twenty fifth anniversary edition of the three hundred ZX, I believe, right? Yeah, two. Is it? It is. It is. Yeah. And you know, Scott, we're at a weird point because we need to wrap this up. I think we went kind of long. I should, probably shouldn't talk more about the racing or or the various accolades. So I just want to do a quick laundry list. Uh, just in the 2000s, automobile named Z32, one of the 100 greatest cars of all time. They also listed it as the, in 2006, as the 20 greatest cars of the past 20 years, 25 most beautiful cars in history. In 2010, GQ magazine listed the Z32 as one of the most stylish cars over the past 50 years. Years, uh, it is one multiple comparison test against other cars it's like the Mitsubishi 3000 GT Dodge Stealth, uh, the Corvette, Toyota Supra, Dodge Viper. It's a lot of stuff. You know, if you want to get just a, a really good handle on uh, the the year by year changes that happen to these vehicles from you know from 1966 all the way through present day, really. Um, yeah. You can go to a place called uh, the, the, uh, the Z Car Club Association. And yeah, that's, that's ZCCA.org. And uh, they have a Z car timeline that's very helpful. And we've, we've referenced it along the way here, but it'll tell you things like national championships and national titles and drivers that, that drove these cars to those, chi- to those titles and uh-huh. um, the year by year changes, even some of the prices along the way, you know, like uh, some, some interesting facts like, you know, the, uh, the 240Z 
uh, debuted with a a pr- initial price tag of just three thousand five hundred twenty six dollars, but just a few months later, uh, it, the, mm-hmm. people were so excited about this yeah. car that just a few months later in nineteen seventy, Kelly Blue Book rated this car a, a used Z car at four thousand dollars. So it went up five hundred dollars in just a few months in nineteen seventy. I think that's a huge move. Um, things like that along the way, and, and I'll tell you, you know, the uh, the the number of units sold per year, and it's just a really good yeah. timeline. So again, go to zcca.org and check that out. And there's lots of information elsewhere. I know we always say this, Ben, but we have probably not done these cars justice because there's <laughs> there's way more than this. And I know we've probably muddied the waters in in some of the uh, some of the uh, generations and some of the uh, the changes that happened throughout, you know, like we things that we did cover, things that we didn't cover, things that we mm-hmm. should have covered, mm-hmm. things that we covered that we maybe shouldn't have. Sure, long <laughs> list. My yeah, friend. well, you know, it's, it happens every time we get off on side conversations. Yeah. you know that uh, that lead different places, and sure, eh, that happens along the way. But I've I have no regrets. That stuff about fix a flat needed to be said. It's a swindle. <laughs> It's it's a it's it's a it's a scheme. It is. It's a it's a total scam. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like uh, Noel, the OG Brown, is uh, giving us a "What are you guys doing?" nod again, which means we're having entirely too much fun here. Uh, We need to head out. And before we do, we just want to make a few announcements. Uh, First, if you want to check out more episodes of our show. You can visit carstuffshow.com and see every episode we have ever done. Literally, I know it sounds too good to be true. All in one spot. All in one spot. And furthermore, if you want to check out some of our stories that never make it to the air for one reason or another, or you'd like to talk to us directly, uh, check us out on Facebook and Twitter where we are carstuffhsw. And if you would like to email a topic to us, take a page from Jimmy's book uh, out there in L.A., but you don't want to deal with the social media baloney, we get it. Uh, Send us an email directly. All our best suggestions come from our listeners. Our address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.